18. By the way, if you are not just new to Thrive, but you're new to church generally, never been to church before, maybe you're coming in from a different faith background or no background at all, you're just curious, you're exploring, we're so thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you find that Thrive is a safe place for you, a place where you can be yourself, a place where you're going to ask the questions that are on your mind, a place where you can find hope and community. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to Thrive Church. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It is called To the Ends of the Earth. And in this series, what we're doing is we're traveling through the powerful book of Acts in the New Testament. And we're watching as this movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago starts in one place called Jerusalem and expands and spreads to other parts of the world. And in the process, as we look at the expansion and the spreading of the gospel to different parts of the world, I think you're going to gain an appreciation for how God is working in your life today. Because believe it or not, whether you see it, God is working in your life today. Even the fact that you're here in church today, I believe is evidence that God is working in your life today. And this series, as we're looking through the book of Acts, is also going to help you see how can you align yourself with God and cooperate with God on the work that he's doing in your life to maximize the impact of it, to maximize the blessing of that, not just for you, but for others as well. Welcome to our series, To the Ends of the Earth. Now, I think you're going to notice this, is that not only are we going through the book of Acts on Sundays, kind of flying over the book of Acts on Sundays, but we're actually going through the book of Acts in detail every day. Everyone say every day. Because we believe that the God's word is something we need to feed on every day. And so if you want to get in on that and you want to go through the book of Acts together with us, you can subscribe at mythrob.info for Pastor JB's game time sharing. And what we'll do is we'll send you a little passage from the book of Acts every morning with some thoughts from me on what does this tell us about Jesus? How can we live our lives in light of this passage? And what we'll do is basically walking as a church family together through the Bible, in particular the book of Acts. Well, hey, today we are into the book of Acts chapter chapter 18. And before I give you the message title for today's message, let me tell you a little story. See, every week, my older son and I, we do something on the weekend together, which is my older son, Bradley, uh, we play video games together every Saturday and every Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like all day Saturday, all day Saturday. We, 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 pray, we, we play for a little bit because we are a very screen time conscious family. Uh, and so we have 30 minutes on Saturday and 30 minutes on Sunday. And we've been doing this for years. Now, when we first started, Bradley would sit beside me on the couch and he just wanted to watch me play. And back then I think to myself, man, parenting is so easy. Parenting is so fun. We should have more kids. Like, this is great. And then over time, it started to shift where now he wants to play and I watch him, which isn't as much fun. I'm kidding. It's fun as well, just in a different kind of way. But last week, we're playing our weekly video games, and it's not as fun as it usually is. You know why? It's because Bradley is trying this new video game that we just bought called Mega Man Zero. And this is a legit hard game, man. This is really challenging. And he's trying to get through even just like, I think, level two. And he keeps dying at different points in the game. And he's getting really frustrated. There's like tears in his eyes. And I'm like, hey, you're doing really well. I'm not. I'm not doing well. And I'm like, you know, it's fine. It's a new game. We're just getting used to it. It's like, I don't know what to do. I'm not no sure. I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. And then I was like, you know what? It's a new game. This is a chance to build our skills. Don't give up. Stay in the fight. 
And so he did. And with two minutes left of screen time, he tries one more time to go through the level. And now he's showing this mastery of the game that I've never seen from him before. It's like, oh wow, this is incredible. He's like doing all these, you know, very instinctive, cool, clever tricks and all that stuff. And then he finally gets the end of the level where he's fighting this boss. And I thought he's getting so close. He's just about to beat the boss. He's just one hit away. Oh, but it wasn't meant to be. On that day, he didn't beat the boss. He died right before the boss uh, was done. And you know, guess what? I later on, after I put him to bed that night, I came back downstairs and I tried beating that boss. I couldn't beat that boss either. But guess what? Next week, we're going to beat the boss. And guess what? Why do I share this message with all of you, this story with all of you, and about my son and his struggles and frustrations trying to beat a video game? It's because today's message is called, Stay in the Fight. Stay in the fight. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, stay in the fight? See, maybe recently you've encountered some really disappointing news. Or maybe recently you've faced some really discouraging circumstances. Or maybe recently someone spoke some very disparaging, hurtful words about you or to you. Or maybe despite your best effort to change a situation, it's like the situation is still not changed and you're frustrated because of it. Maybe it's in regards to your relationships or in your career or in your mental health or in a pursuit of a dream. And it's like you're here and you're feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances. You're here and you're facing a problem that doesn't seem to want to go away. You're here and you're not really sure what to do anymore with your life and you're considering just giving it all up. I believe God's word for you this morning is stay in the fight. And that's what this message is called. See, don't get me wrong. When I say stay in the fight, I'm not saying that if you are in an abusive situation right now, that you just need to stay in the fight by just, you know, putting up with it, submitting to the abuse. No. In fact, as we're going to see today in Acts chapter 18, is that when you're in an abusive situation, sometimes the last thing that God wants you to do is just put up with it. Sometimes the thing to do is to not put up with it, but call out that abuse and make a change. So don't get me wrong. When I say stay in the fight, this is what I mean. I mean by stay in the fight, don't give up on the person God made you to be. Don't give up on the life God has called you to live. Stay in the fight. Because if you give up now, you're going to miss the greater story that God is writing with your life. And if you give up now, you're going to forfeit the grace that God wants to make available to you so that you can see God's power working through your weakness. And if you give up now, you're going to give up the testimony and the lessons that God wants you to learn as you go through this difficult time. And if you give up now, you're going to give up a lot of the glory that will come when you help others through the same situation that they are going through, that you're going through right now. So don't give up. Stay in the fight. Turn to say one more time, stay in the fight. See, like Paul, I want you at the end of all of this to be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. You stayed in the fight. How do you stay in the fight? Well, today, This morning, in Acts chapter 18, we're going to learn some keys that help us stay in the fight. Look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1 with me right now. What does it say? It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went 
to Corinth. Stop right there. See, by now, you should be really familiar with Paul in our series. Paul, he was formerly the most anti-Christian guy around. He was bent on destroying churches, on destroying Christianity, and yet he encounters Jesus in a really personal, powerful way. It turns his life around. He becomes a preacher of the gospel. He starts talking to people how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the grave. We've got hope in Jesus. Now, in Acts chapter 17, he's in the city of Athens, and now in Acts chapter 18, where we are, he's traveling about 40 miles west to a new city called Corinth. Now, let me show you a modern day picture of Corinth. If you go to Corinth today, it's really nothing but a town, a small town of ancient ruins. But back in Paul's time, about 50 AD, Corinth was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. It was a center for trade. It was a center for politics. It was a center for the arts, an extremely wealthy city. In fact, a lot of travelers would go to Corinth every two years because every two years, Corinth would hold what's called the Isthmian Games. It's kind of like the Olympic Games, the chariot races, medals being awarded, all that stuff. And so you know, it was very much a tourist city. Also, Corinth had the largest ship railway in the ancient world. And what do I mean by that? Because you ought to understand, Corinth was situated between two big bodies of water. Let's pretend this screen is one. This screen, pretend this is the Gulf of Corinth. This screen, we're going to pretend is the Sardonic Gulf. And Corinth is right in the middle of these two. And what would happen is that because back in that day, sea traveling was expensive, it was dangerous, it was risky, it was time consuming. And so what a lot of ships would decide to do is, okay, we're going to disembark our cargo and we're going to put it on these rails and we're going to push it across on a track to the other side to get to the other gulf and see they wouldn't just put cargo in some cases they actually put whole ships on this rail and they would literally push the ships across land through Corinth to the other side to get to more water. And see, as a result of that, Corinth had extreme traffic going through it. There's, it's, a bare, it's a bustling city. There's not just commercial traffic and economic traffic, but even sex trafficking was a huge thing in Corinth. It was often known, Corinth, as like the pleasure capital of the ancient Mediterranean world where people, like sailors, they have money to spend, they go and find the cheap sex wherever they can, especially in Corinth. And that's what, all that's going on. So what's, what do you got going on is that you've got cargo moving through Corinth. You've got ships moving through Corinth. You've got athletes moving through Corinth. You've got tourists moving through Corinth. You've got business people moving through Corinth, all going through Corinth. But in Acts chapter 18, you've got someone else going through Corinth. His name is Paul. And see, Paul, he's going for a different purpose, not to, not, not to make money per se, not to do anything, but to share the message that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Now, see, Paul knew that no matter how wealthy, how sophisticated, how cultured a city can be like Corinth, people in Corinth were also suffering from a spiritual emptiness. It's not only that they have everything they need, you think, and yet there's this feeling of being lost, a feeling of being alone, a feeling like I don't even know why I'm on this earth. And so Paul, he goes to Corinth with the message that Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy our deepest longings and needs and make us alive and whole again. He goes to Corinth that message. And like Corinth back then, Vancouver today is a wealthy, sophisticated, cultured city. And yet how many know people all over greater Vancouver suffer from a spiritual emptiness? This feeling of I'm so depressed, I'm so alone, I'm so lost, I'm so lonely. And that is why we exist here at Thrive Church. It's to let people know there is hope in Jesus Christ. 
And that what people need more than affordable housing, more than you know, a higher paying job, more than an electric vehicle to drive, more than AC in the house, what people need in our city and cities around the world is Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart and give a purpose worth living for. And so Paul, he's going to Corinth with that message about Jesus. And there in Corinth, he meets two people that are gonna have a huge, huge impact on his life. Look at verse two, read it with me. It says, therefore he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So what's going on? So Paul's in Corinth and while he's in Corinth, there's a married couple called Aquila and Priscilla who are from Rome. Now, in Rome, the emperor called Claudius, he says, all the Jews must leave Rome. There was an anti-Jewish policy in Rome. And so these two, Aquila and Priscilla, they move from Rome to Corinth where they meet Paul. And since they all come from a similar professional background, they're all tent makers, which possibly means that they work with goat's hair, they work with leather, they make tents. They decide, hey, why don't we make a business together? We'll go into business together in Corinth. And that's what they do. Now, it's not really clear whether Aquila and Priscilla became Christians before or after they met Paul. But what is clear is that their friendship together would have a huge impact on all of them. See, Aquila and Priscilla, they would become two of Paul's closest friends and supporters. Keep in mind, by this point, Paul, he's no spring chicken. By this point, he's been, he's been through a lot. He's preached the gospel about 15 years in now, and everywhere he goes, there's difficulty. Everywhere he goes, there's challenges. Everywhere he goes, there's persecution. And I could just imagine, if I'm Paul, just having friends like Aquila and Priscilla, where I can just hang out, where I can just be myself, where I can just pray with people, that all helps me to stay in the fight. And that's why when you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, he will often mention Aquila and Priscilla and the impact they had on him. See, likewise, through their association with Paul, you got Aquila and Priscilla, and because they knew Paul, they were also encouraged to pursue everything that God had for them, to, to do with what God has given to them, something that's not just for them, but for people around them. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they're not preachers, but they were extremely giving and hospitable. They would even become pastors one day who would open up their home to have a church there, and that's their heart. And so here we got Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, this awesome friendship, and when I look at their friendship, I learned something, which is this. Great friends help you stay in the fight. Great friends help each other stay in the fight. You know, in fact, this past week, it's been really cool to see some of our youngest young adults. And when I say youngest young adults, I need to be careful because here, of course, at Thrive, we say that, you know, no matter what your birth certificate says, there's only three ages in Thrive. You're either 8, 18, or 28, right? It's up to you. Choose which one. But in this case, it's just really cool to see for me our youngest young adults. I'll call them our 18-year-olds, you know, and how they are just really pulling together and really watching out for one another, really taking good care of each other, praying for one another. It's just been really awesome to see because great friends help each other stay in the fight. If you've got a great friend who helps you in that, you've got to thank God for that person, even thank that person as well. But let me just speak to one group at Thrive here today, all right? Just really quick for just a couple minutes. Let me speak to the married couples here at Thrive, all right? To be clear, can, can, married couples, can, 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 you, can I hear from you married couples right now? 
You can hear how tired they are right now. Look at that. See, here's it here. Here, here, here it is. Here. Now, guess what? If you are not married, if you are single, if you are widowed, if you're divorced, guess what? You are just as much a part of Thrive Church as anybody else. But let me just for a couple minutes talk to the married couples right now. See, here at Thrive, our hope is that every married couple would aim to be a modern-day Aquila and Priscilla. And what do I mean by that? I don't mean you have to change your legal name to Aquila and Priscilla. I don't mean you have to become tent makers, especially if you don't like camping. I don't mean any of that. What I mean is this, is that when you look at you and your spouse and your relationship together, you want to see yourselves as we're not just spouses. We're not just parents. We're not just legally married, but we are partners in the kingdom of God. We are co-workers on God's mission. We are a team for God's glory. And see, the reason why you are together isn't just because fate brought you together or friends introduced you or Facebook brought you together or an algorithm brought you together. The reason why you are together, you need to see it this way, is that God brought you together. And the reason he brought you together wasn't just so you could have some happy, comfortable, pleasant life together, but even more, it's because God knew he could gain more glory for himself through you two as a team than he ever could with the two of you on your own as individuals. And if you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now, single people in this place, if you want to follow Jesus and you also want to get married, can I give you a suggestion? Don't just pray that your spouse would be Christian. Pray that the person that you marry will be someone that you can serve God with. See, as a married couple, you are a team for God's glory. You were made to serve God together. Now, what that looks like practically and exactly is going to differ from couple to couple, depending on how God uniquely made the two of you. And so on that note, here are a couple cautions that I'll give to you guys today. First, beware seeing your spouse as just an extension of you, kind of I've got my calling, I've got my dream, I've got my ministry, and you just need to assist me. You need to follow me. See, without recognizing that your spouse also has gifts, also has talents, also has dreams, and because of that, you don't just want to be a one-way person, but you want to be someone who's encouraging and enabling your spouse as well. Don't make it such a one-way thing where it's you help me. The fact is you are both uniquely gifted by God to serve him. That's the first caution. The second caution is this. Beware trying to fit your spouse into a mold that isn't for them. Kind of like you play this comparison game where you go, yeah, we got to serve God. Oh, look at that couple. Oh, why can't you be more like that wife? Or how can't you be like more that that husband? Don't do that because don't try to squeeze your spouse into a mold that isn't for them. You want to see them as a unique masterpiece from God. Amen is that you're going to love them uniquely. You want to discover what they were made to do, what they do well, what they do best, and give them an opportunity to use it to serve God. And see, I love it when I see here at Thrive, just married couples serving together in all sorts of ways. It might be leading a small group together or teaching a Thrive Kids class together, or doing set up and take down in the mornings together, or one is doing the parking, the other one's greeting at the front door, or one is serving in the band while the other one's taking care of their kids and maybe they'll do a switch later, and then one is in the public role, maybe one is happy just to support in the background. It looks in so many different ways. It all depends on how God uniquely shaped you, but here's a question for all the married couples today. As we get ready for a brand new year in September, How will you and your spouse together live out your identity as a team for God's glory? 
practically speaking, what is that going to look like between the two of you? Whatever way it looks, I want to challenge the two of you together to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, let me speak now to the Pauls in this place, i.e. those of you who are single, those of you who maybe don't feel a big urge to get married, or maybe you want to get married, but you're just not married right now. Or in this case, I'll even include those of you who are married, but you're not married to someone who's following Jesus because you might feel a little bit like you're single as well in that way. Here's the thing. Just because you're single doesn't mean you have to be alone. Because the fact is, whether you're married or single or whatever your status is, you still need to be part of a team that follows and serves Jesus together. That's one of the big lessons we learned from Paul in the book of Acts. Though Paul was single all his life, throughout the book of Acts, we see that Paul, he's partnering with different people to serve God together. First, there was Barnabas, and there was Silas, and Timothy. Now there's Aquila and Priscilla. And that's why being part of a team or being part of a small group is so important. You're part of a bigger body that's following and serving Jesus together. If you believe that, say amen. See, what's the lesson here? Is that when you find the right partner, it adds power to your purpose. See, when you find the right partner, it doesn't hold you back, but it sets you free to become everything that God made you to be. When you have the right partner, it doesn't weaken you, but it actually empowers you and encourages you. And the right partner will remind you of who you really are in those times when you're inclined to forget who you are. And see, how do you find the right partner? Well, one of the fa- my favorite series that we've done here at Thrive, and you got to be careful with that because I say that every series we do is my favorite series, but two, three years ago in 2019, we did back in May and June, a series called Known and Loved. It's a relationship series. And one of the big things we talked about is what do you look for in a life partner? And the two big things we talked about, the two most important things you want to look for in a life partner are two things. Number one, character. Number two, compatibility. Number one, character, meaning who is this person as a, you know, in, in, their, in these objective traits? Like are, they, are they responsible? Are they trustworthy? Are they kind? Are they encouraging? Are they positive? Right? These are objective traits that can be kind of characterized as good or bad. That's character, because character is the foundation of any relationship. But there's a second thing we need to look at. It's compatibility. It's how naturally do the two of you get along? And see, here's the thing, is when it comes to finding the right partner, let me give you a little clue on that one today is when deciding who to partner with, whether it's in marriage or it's in business, don't just focus on one level of compatibility. When you look at, for example, Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, and their friendship together, you're going to find that there were multiple levels on which they were compatible. They're all from the same country, basically, from Asia Minor. Paul, he's from Tarsus, which is like the southeastern part of Asia Minor. You know, you've got Aquila, he's from a place called Pontus, which is kind of like the northern part of Asia Minor. All of them are Jewish. So they all have the same kind of heritage. All of them came from international backgrounds. In other words, though they're Jewish, they all lived in different, you know, Greek, you know, culture places. And so they have like multiple cultures, and just like many of you have multiple cultures inside you. All of them were new to the city of Corinth. They just moved there. They're all tent makers by profession. They're all committed followers of Jesus. And there's a little lesson that I think we can learn from all of this, which is the best teams aren't just compatible on one level. The best teams are compatible on multiple levels. Now, don't get me wrong. Compatibility is important, but don't go into this thinking, okay, so anytime I join a small group, then I have to look at, oh, am I compatible with every single person here? No, it's a, I'm talking about those one-on-one friendships where it's the closest friendships we have, like marriage, or you're getting to a business. This is what I'm talking about in terms of looking at the importance of compatibility. When I, I remember I was a, a new Christian back when I was like 18, 19 years old, 
And I had this friend who's a girl who was very much, as people say, on fire for the Lord, right? She was just really passionate about her faith. And, you know, we, we love to spend time together on the phone, praying together. You know, we'd share about what we're learning in our time with God and the Bible. We worship together. And just an amazing girl, great girl. And I thought to myself, you know, she's such a great girl with great character. And on a spiritual level, we just seem to really connect. And I thought, you know, she's going to make a great wife to someone one day. Why not me? Why, why not my wife? And so, you know what? We started to date. But very soon into the dating relationship, for some reason, I had no peace at all about this relationship. And when we actually broke it off, I was so confused. Like, why didn't it work out? I was sad. I was depressed. I felt guilty. But I was really confused. And I didn't understand why it didn't work out. But then looking back now, when I, if JB in 2022 could go back to JB back then, I would tell JB back then, look, okay, on a spiritual level, yeah, you guys were really connecting. But on a lot of other levels, you guys weren't compatible. It's like your personalities would clash. Your family backgrounds are really different. You know, when you're together with friends, it didn't feel that natural at all. You're in different life stages. Now, that's not to say that if your family backgrounds are different, or that person is much, much older or much, much younger than you, or you come from different cultural backgrounds that it can never work out. No, I'm not saying that. It just means that you'll have to work that much harder on those natural gaps between the two of you. And you know, I remember Pastor Shar and I, you know, we, have, we had a cultural, maybe could you say, kind of difference where she's kind of from the east, I'm from the west, and coming together. I basically had to learn a brand new language to kind of deal with the family and relate to the family. And that was hard work. And unless you're up for something like that, unless you're committed to that kind of challenge, it can go from, she's so different, she's so foreign, she's so exciting, to, she's so different, she's so foreign, she's so exhausting. See, in my case, with this one girl that I'm dating, see, I, I was focused on this one level of compatibility, but I basically ignored all the other levels of compatibility, and that was my mistake. And see, I learned from that experience that compatibility is not just about two people getting along on one level really well, but compatibility is more like this. What makes a great team is when the teammates share multiple levels of compatibility and they have great character. Like my dad would often say, he would say, marriage is the coming together of two people on every conceivable level. In other words, all of your strengths, all of that person's strengths, all of your weaknesses, all of that person's weaknesses, all of them are going to come together, whether you like it or not. And if you're looking for a life partner and you're only focused on one level of compatibility, oh, she's so hot, or he's so cute, and you're just focused on that one level, that's like buying a house just because you like the front lawn and just ignoring everything else about the house. And you're going to have to live in that house for the rest of your life. So you got to be careful. See, compatibility doesn't mean that you're the the same in every single respect. Rather, compatibility means that you complement one another. Maybe one of you is a really fast thinker and makes decisions really quick, and the other one of you is slower at that. Or maybe one of you is really loud, the other one is kind of quiet. Or maybe one of you is really kind of outgoing, the other one is more, you know, kind of like, ah, I don't really know. And see, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You actually might balance each other out. In fact, this one thing that I find is that oftentimes you might think of it as you guys are like two strings on a guitar. Different frequencies, different roles. The question is, do you make good music together? Do you sound good together? See, Pastor Shar and I, we've been married for a while, like 19 years now. And 
we are so different in so many ways. I already mentioned the cultural difference we had. But here's the thing, you know, other differences. She's fast to make decisions. I'm slow, according to her. Uh, she's more in, slightly more introverted than I am. I'm slightly more extroverted than she is. She's more outgoing in terms of wanting to take risks. I'm a little bit more, okay, let's think about it. And, 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 and another one, she's a lot better looking than I am. That's true. And see, and all of that is a good thing because we tend to balance each other out in a healthy way. Otherwise, if both of us are so stunningly good looking, you guys wouldn't listen to my sermons anymore. You'd just be like, ah. Right? <laughs> see, here's the thing. Now, the fact is, if, if both of us are so stunning good looking, you know, we wouldn't be that approachable. But now it's like beauty and the beast, right? And so it's great. It, it works out really well. And so in some ways, we're really different. But in some key areas, we're very much aligned. For example, we both want to follow Jesus and honor Jesus with our lives and make him the center of our lives. Now, we don't do that perfectly, not by any means, but that is our faith. We are compatible in that way. You know, another one, what we hold dear and what we dream about the most, our family, our church, you know, these are top priorities for both of us. It's like what we call dream compatibility. You know, I find our core values are very much the same. Like the way we like to do things, how we treat people, how we want to be treated, you know, how we look at money, our work ethic, very much similar in that way. Call it core value compatibility. Physical attraction. Is there physical attraction? Oh yeah, for sure. At least from this side to that side. But you know, that, that, that there's physical attraction for, and then social compatibility. Sometimes, you know, when I'm in a group of people, and I've got Char there, you know, in that group. It's like, you know what? I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. But I'm just so proud that I can call this girl, this amazing girl, my wife. That's social compatibility. And see, relationships are hard work no matter what. And so to save you some unnecessary trouble as your pastor, I just want to give you this advice. When finding the right partner, look for different levels of compatibility. It'll help you in the long run. Acts 18.4, read it with me right now. What does it say? It says, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So what's going on? On a weekly, on a weekly basis in Corinth, Paul goes to the synagogue and he's trying to reach the Jews and Gentiles in the synagogue with the message about Jesus Christ. But so many of his listeners in the synagogue, they don't just criticize Paul, but they revile Paul. They you know, are speaking abusively about Paul and say, what does Paul do? He does this. He says, you know what? I've tried my best. I've been respectful, but you guys, for some reason, are not being respectful. You're being abusive. So I am moving on. I'm going to the Gentiles. Now, don't misunderstand what Paul's doing. Paul isn't quitting the ministry. He's not, you know, quitting on Jewish people. In fact, the next city he would go to in Ephesus, he's going to go back to the synagogue. He's going to try to reach Jewish people again. But instead, what Paul's doing in Corinth, he's saying, all right, I'm not going to put up with this abuse from this synagogue. So for as long as I'm in Corinth, I'm going to focus on those who really want to hear from me and not these people who are being abusive. See, what can we learn from this? There's a few lessons we can learn. Number one, when you're the victim of abuse, call it out. When you're the victim of abuse, call it out. Don't just put up with it, but do something about it. See, in the book of Acts, when Paul saw abuse taking place, he wouldn't just put up with it. He would call it out. He would bring it to light. He would expose it. 
Oh, but JB, doesn't Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount that you're not to resist an evil person, that if someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek to them? Well, he does. But why does he say that? It says God wants us to be people of grace, where just as God is kind and gracious to us who can be difficult and evil, we are to be kind and gracious to others who can be difficult and evil as well. But what happens when the grace that we show to others, when they don't appreciate it, when they take it for granted, and when they want to take even more advantage of you? See, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians should just allow themselves to be held hostage by, controlled by difficult people. And that's why when things get abusive, it's time for a change. Now, what do I mean by abusive? Because, you know, things, words like abusive, trauma, these are big words. And sometimes they're such big words that we almost use them too loosely and we start to kind of lose the meaning of what abuse is. Let me give you a little definition for abuse, which is this, is that abuse is where through either intentional or neglectful behavior, one person mistreats another person, causing them harm and violating their God-given worth and dignity. Let me say that again. Abuse is where either through intentional or neglectful behavior, one person mistreats another person, causing that other person to be harmed and violating their God-given dignity and worth. That's what abuse is. And see, Paul didn't put up with abuse. He's okay with criticism. He's okay with discussion. He's okay with dialogue. But the moment it starts getting abusive, he's like, no, I'm not going to have this. And so when he was being abused, he got up, he called his abusers on it, and he moved on. See, that's when it happens with, with abusive situations. But what if the situation that you're in isn't an abusive one? What if it's just hard? What if it's just you're having a tough time, you're just hitting these different walls and it's been frustrating? What do you do then? Let me give you a little piece of advice we can learn from Acts 18. When things get hard, sometimes what you need is not a resignation, but a redirection. When things get hard, sometimes what you need isn't a resignation, but a redirection. What do I mean by that? Is that to help us stay in the fight, sometimes like Paul, what we need to do is practice the skill of redirection. Now, look at Paul, for example. Instead of entirely giving up on his ministry, or I quit the church, or I quit preaching, you know, instead, Paul practices redirection. He says, okay, I need to change my approach here. While I'm in Corinth, I'm not going to focus on this group anymore. I'm going to focus on that group. And see, redirection is where you, instead of giving up entirely, and just, I just resign. Instead, what is this? You redirect your focus. You redirect your energy. You adjust your approach. You adjust even your attitude such that you're still got the same ultimate goal in mind. You're just going to go at it in a different way. For example, on my way to our on-site service today, this morning, I'm driving. I'm taking the normal route that I go on, and I can see in the distance there's a police blockade where I would normally go. I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here. Not because the police are looking for me, but just because I just got to get out. And, and so, and so I, I, I redirect my route and I take a slightly longer route. My destination is still the same. My goal is still the same. I'm just do, doing it in a different way. That's redirection. And you know, I remember there was, I was watching the NBA playoffs a couple months ago. And I was really fascinated by this one NBA playoff game where the star of one of the teams, he's expected to score most of the points. He's a shooter. And for some reason, the buckets are not going in. And he's getting frustrated. The team's like, what's going on? The commentator's like, oh, what's he going to do? He's going to sit on the bench, put a towel over his head, and just kind of quit. But as the game moved on, it was really cool to see 
how he responded is that this player, he would continue to work hard, but he would stop shooting as much and he would distribute the ball to other players to let them shoot. And he really focused on defense and getting the ball for his team. And at the end of it, this team actually won the game. And all these commentators were praising this one player for how when he met an obstacle, he didn't just give up, but he redirected. He found another way to win. And that's called redirection. See, Sometimes what we need isn't a resignation, it's a redirection. Here's a question for you today. What is one area of your life today where maybe instead of resigning, what you need to do is practice the skill of redirection? What does it look like practically for you to practice redirection? It's going to take wisdom. I encourage you to pray about it. I encourage you to talk to people about safe people, about how can I redirect myself in this situation? Because sometimes what you need is not just to resign, it's to redirect. That's the next lesson we learn about staying in the fight. Look at verse 7. What does it say? It says, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. See, if there's one good thing that came out of Paul's efforts to try to reach people in the synagogue in Corinth, it's this. The synagogue ruler came to Christ. See, the synagogue ruler is the manager of the synagogue, and he came to Christ. No one else did, but he did. And I could just imagine this, and I don't know if this is exactly how it happened, but the way I imagine is Paul's like, forget this. You guys are being abusive. I'm moving on. So he literally goes out of the synagogue. He starts heading next door to the house of Titius Justice, who's not a Jewish guy, but he's, a, like a, he's a, a Gentile. He's going to knock on his door. And as he's going there, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, runs out. He's like, hey, Paul, 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 hey, Paul, Paul. I'm so sorry about what happened back there. Like, that stuff that they're saying, that's just totally uncalled for. But know that not everybody feels that way, all right? All right, not, that doesn't represent all of us. Because the fact is, I've been listening to your message. My family's been listening to this message about Jesus, how he died on the cross, how he rose again, how our scriptures point to him. I, I've been hearing this. I didn't really understand it at first, but more and more as I listen to you, I get it now. I believe in Jesus. Would you arrange for me to be baptized, please? And that's what ends up happening. He gets baptized. His family gets baptized. In fact, if you read later on in Acts chapter 18, he stops being the synagogue ruler, probably because he either left or lost, lost his job because of his faith. And so that was one good thing that happened in Paul's efforts to reach the people in the synagogue. And Luke, the author of Acts, goes out of his way to mention that. Now, what's the lesson for us in that? When you feel like giving up, focus on the good. Focus on the good. See, you're going to find that an attitude of gratitude, choosing an attitude of gratitude, helps you to stay in the fight. He's, sometimes the reason we're so quick to give up is because we're not focused on everything that's good, but everything that's wrong. We're just kind of focused so much on what's wrong with my life and what I don't like and what's wrong and what's not ideal. And, and, and here's the thing. The truth is, not everything is all bad. The fact is, if you have to be really honest about it, there are blessings even in the difficulties. And even the worst situation that you may be in, there are still things to thank God for. Earlier I talked about how in Corinth there was this railway that went through Corinth from one gulf to another. And see, life is kind of like this railway where you've got all this cargo, you're pushing it across, and it's like a railway track where one side you got negative things. And for the rest of your life, there will always be something to complain about. 
Always something that's not ideal. Always something that's maybe not the way you want for the rest of your life. At the same time, for the rest of your life, there will always be things you can be thankful for. Always things that are blessings in disguise. Always things that if you focus on, you're like, man, God is good to me. And the question is, which one are you focused on? If you focus on one track, the negative track, you just keep on focusing on everything that's wrong, guess what's going to happen? It's going to lead you to depression. It's going to lead you to want to give up. But if you would focus on what is good, like Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you'd focus on that track, where it's going to lead you to, it's going to lead you to hope. It's going to lead you to stay in the fight. If someone is listening in this place, would you give God some praise in this place together right now? Amen. Could it be that the reason why you're having such a tough time with life right now and you want to give up is because you're pushing your life across this railway and all you focus on is this one line called all of my problems and all of my suffering and everything that's wrong with my life. No wonder you want to give up. But the reason why we have the Bible is to remind you and me the goodness of God follows us all the days of our life. And you're not sure what? Focus on Jesus. Focus on the cross. Focus on the resurrection because God has been good to you. Oh, come on. There's more than that. Give God all of your praise. Amen. Stay in the fight. Would you turn to him and say, stay in the fight? Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching the word of God. I love that. I love that. Let me tell you what's going on. God knew the fear that Paul was experiencing while he was in Corinth. It's like he'd gone through so much already in previous cities, and now in Corinth, he's like, oh, so much rejection, so much difficulty, and he's afraid something's going to happen to him. So God takes the initiative to reach out to Paul, to speak to Paul, and he tells Paul, Paul, don't be afraid. I am with you. And not only am I with you, but I've got people followers of Jesus in the city, so you don't need to be harmed and attacked. And, you know, guess what? He says, no one will attack and harm you. Guess what? If you just read a few verses over, guess what happens to Paul? He gets sued. He gets into a lawsuit. Hey, but I thought, Jesus, you said no one's going to attack and harm me. Well, no one, here's the thing. Oftentimes, when you go through attacks, you got to realize this. Being attacked is different from being attacked and harmed. God says, I will keep you from all harm. And even the bad things that happen to you, I can use for good. And so God was true to his promise, is that though Paul would be attacked, he wouldn't be harmed. And that's his promise to Paul. And see, Paul, he hears a spoken word of God, and it gives him a comfort that nothing else can. And what can we learn from that? See, it's that God is your greatest comforter and friend. And whenever you're afraid, God wants to use his word and speak it into your heart so that you can know a peace, an assurance, a strength, and a hope that nothing else can give. You know, I remember when we first decided we're going to uh, go back to Vancouver and commission the Plant Thrive Church in Vancouver. We're still living in Taiwan at the time, Pastor Shar and I. And I remember thinking to myself, man, like, I'm going to go to Vancouver, plant a church, and I'm going to have to preach every week. I'm like, 
I've never preached more than like three sermons in my life. What am I going to do? I was kind of scared of like actually being up on a stage and preaching every single week. And in my concern, I started calling out to God. I remember I was walking on a downtown street in Taipei, Taiwan, and just sensed God say to me, JB, you never have to worry about what you preach on a Sunday. That was 15 years ago. And to this day, let me tell you, every single Sunday, I hang on to that word every single Sunday, and it helps me to overcome my fear. God's perfect love expressed through a spoken word drives out my fear. Praise God. And see, here's the thing. Another one, I'll share another one. Sometimes I'll have these irrational fears where I will think these crazy thoughts about what might happen to me or what might happen to my family. And there'd be times when I'd be giving these fears to God, and one day I sense God say something to me. I'm not going to share what he said to me because I feel like I need to keep that secret. But what he shared with me, it touched my heart in a way where every time I think about that fear, I think now about what God says, and I repeat it to myself, and it helps me to move forward. It helps me to stay in the fight. And see, what's the lesson there? To help you stay in the fight, hear the spoken word of God. Don't just listen to people. Listen to God who loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. And how do you hear the spoken word of God? Let me tell you, it's not through Ouija boards or divination. It's out of a relationship with God. That the more you read and meditate on scripture, the more you get the word of God, the truth of God's word in your heart, in your mind, the more you spend time in the presence of God with his Holy Spirit, the more you seek to honor God with your life, the more that all these different things are going on, the more you sense when God is speaking to you. And if you still don't know really how to do that, ask someone in your small group for help. Or take TDS2, Thrive Disciple School Level 2, happening this October, where we teach how to make the most of the Word of God for yourself, how to listen for the Holy Spirit, because you need to hear the Word of God. Turn your name and say, you need to hear God's Word. Today's message is called, Stay in the Fight. And my question for you today is, what is one fight that God wants you to stay in? Maybe it's the fight for your marriage. Maybe it's the fight against an addiction to pornography. Maybe it's a fight for your mental health. Maybe it's the fight to pursue a dream. What fight does God want you to stay in? See, today, we learn four things that help us stay in the fight. It's the support of friends who believe in us, and in particular, who believe in the work that God does in us. It's the skill of redirection. It's an attitude of gratitude. It's the spoken word of God. Which of these four do you find you especially need to focus on during this time? Before I lead you in prayer, I just want everyone to stand. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God. And before we touch specifically on staying in the fight in regards to those four things we talked about today, I just want to give you an opportunity today for those of you who are here, maybe it's your first time in church or maybe you've been to church for years, but you've never opened up your heart to Jesus and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, to be your savior, then can I tell you this? If you want to stay in the fight, it's the most important thing you could possibly do is to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. Because when we couldn't reach God because of our sin, God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have a forgiveness that we could never earn just by being or trying to be a good person because God is perfect and we're not. God's forgiveness is precious and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's as simple as receiving it by faith in the prayer that we want to lead you in. But here's it. 
long before you ever thought you could fight about anything or for anything. God fought for you. And though it cost him his life, Jesus stayed in the fight until he could make a relationship with God possible for you. And if you want to receive that today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that today. And if you're online, this is for you as well. If you realize today that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness, that you need God's forgiveness for sin, that sin separates you from God and you don't want that sin to separate you anymore. You want God's forgiveness. You want peace with God. You want a relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. Then I encourage you to respond to God right here, right now. I want you to lift your hand to God right now. Let the height of your hand reflect how much you desire and just be honest with God and just about saying, God, I need your forgiveness. God, I need you in my life. Jesus, I need you to be my savior. If that's you, lift up your hand to God. Those you online, I encourage you to, to click the link in your chat room, scan the QR code on your screen. Those of you on site, you've got your hands up. Maybe a team member of ours might give you a little card with a prayer on it. Online family, you guys can see that prayer as well when you click that link or scan that QR code. We're just going to pray this prayer together with those who need to receive Jesus as their Savior today. Why don't we all pray this out loud and just repeat this after me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God some praise in this place together right now? If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. And what you've done is essentially what Acts chapter 2 says is believe. Peter says, believe and be baptized. In other words, don't just believe, but you want to get baptized as evidence of your faith. Baptism is not 20 years from now, then they'll get baptized. Because baptism is not a graduation, it's a beginning. It's you simply saying, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. I thank Him for forgiving me, for dying on the cross for me. If you prayed that prayer just now, then your next step, and oftentimes in the Bible, people got baptized same day, your next step is to get baptized. Highly encourage you to do so. Encourage you to go to mythrive.info, press the baptism button, and we'd love to help you with baptism. Believe and be baptized and it's part of just the very beginning of having a relationship with God and following Jesus. Let's give God a big hand together right now. Praise God. Good morning, Thrive. We're so excited to see you all today. My name is Christine and I hope you had a fantastic time today here at Thrive. Before we end off, let's jump into some announcements and take a look at what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time joining us, we want to show you how much we appreciate you being here today by giving you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle. Simply scan the QR code at the back of your seat or visit mythrive.info and click new to Thrive to fill out the connect card. If you joined us online, we'll mail you the gift as soon as possible. And if you're here with us today at Lipon Place, please drop by the Welcome Center by the exit door after the service to pick up your gift. Once again, thanks so much for worshiping with us today. It's so nice to finally enjoy the sunny weather outdoors. What's a better way to enjoy the sunshine at the beach with your Thrive family with activities for adults and children of all ages? Hence, 
Join us for the Thrive Summer Picnic at the Centennial Beach on Saturday, September 3rd at 2 p.m. Please RSVP at MyThrive.info and invite all your friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers. Please bring your own picnic mat and food. There will be rain or shine ice cream served at 3 p.m. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to get plugged in here at Thrive by joining a small group or by being a part of a serving team. This is the best way to meet new friends and to develop meaningful relationships with other Thrivers. To sign up, please visit MyThrive.info. All right, so that concludes our announcements today. If you believe in the mission of Thrive and would like to contribute towards it, I highly encourage you to head on over to MyThrive.info and click online giving. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Enjoy the rest of the week. I'll see you all next week online and on site at Lipan Place. See you soon. 